Welcome to Tap In, Waterloo Region's newest community podcast brought to you by Social Venture Partners. I am your host, Rose Greensides, and over the next three months, we will take you on a journey where we will tap into real social issues facing real people in our region. Joining me will be other community leaders, where together we promise to inspire you to be part of the solution. Today, we're tapping into an important issue that affects 30% of all women aged 15 and older, sexual assault. Joining me as co-host is SVP partner, Ginny Dibanko, and we are also lucky to have Sarah Castleman from the Sexual Assault Support Center. Welcome both Sarah and Ginny. Thanks for having us. Sarah, those who have heard you speak often hear about you talk on that dreaded waiting list, the list for survivors in our community to get support. This number has obviously drastically changed over the years, and I'm assuming that list is still dreaded. Can you talk a little bit about how that list has changed over the years and where we are currently? Yeah, thanks, Rose. I I often feel like a broken record when I'm talking about the waiting list, and I am very cognizant that people in the community are probably hearing me talk and saying, I thought she said this a couple of years ago. But the truth is, is we really experienced a cultural shift when it comes to sexual violence. And it started well before, you know, the hashtag MeToo movement with the cultural shift around Cosby, Gameshi, Weinstein, all of that stuff. And so what all the dialogue culminated in was the Me Too movement in the fall of 2017. And so as dialogue about sexual violence increased, more survivors reached out for support. Really what it did is, I think everyone on their social media channels saw folks hashtag Me Too sharing their stories. What really came to light at that time was that sexual violence had touched so many lives and that everyone knew someone who had that experience if they didn't have the experience themselves. And so what we saw was this cultural shift, survivors reaching out in record numbers. So years ago, I've been at the center for for 20 years. If we had 40 survivors on our waiting list, we would have said that was a crisis. We would have looked at every possible way to get folks in faster, to get support. And then around the time of the Me Too movement, we jumped up and had an average of like 120 survivors on our waiting list at any given time. And it was a time where we were trying to figure out how do we manage this influx in demand? How do we communicate to the community, to the province, to the nation that we need support? So, you know, that's the, the situation that we were in before COVID. With the pandemic, what we knew at the very beginning was during pandemics and wars, natural disasters, gender-based violence in our community increases, as does the need for mental health supports. So we've now seen a 62% increase in requests for individual counseling since that time. So our waiting list, last I checked, was about 170 folks on our waiting list. When I talk about our waiting list, I don't want folks to feel like it's so high, so I shouldn't reach out because we are working so hard to get supports for folks. And we have lots of different pots of funding that we can prioritize supports like for racialized folks, for folks that are members of the LGBTQ community, for young survivors, for university students. So we always encourage folks to reach out. We have groups and workshops and all sorts of things. So please reach out to us if you need support. But 
the waiting lists in our sector are, are significant, which is why we need our community support and our province's support right now. What's the most misunderstood thing about sexual assault in Waterloo Region today? The most misunderstood thing? I think for a long time, sexual violence was such a taboo topic. And I'm not saying that it still isn't, because it is. But it was so taboo that it was shrouded in secrecy and shame. And when survivors and when advocates such as ourselves talked about you know, one in three women will have this experience. A lot of folks didn't really hear those numbers or understand what they meant. Like, you know, when you're in a room full of people, that's many of the women in that room and many of the men as well would have had that experience. What that means is that the women in your life will have had that experience. I used to say to folks, if you've never had a survivor disclose to you, that actually says so much more about you than it does about anything else. Because if you're not creating a safe space for survivors, they're not going to disclose to you. But the fact is, is they're all around you in our community. And so I think it used to be even more so that sexual violence was so rare, that it wasn't very prevalent. And so I think that's still the biggest thing that we have to navigate, although it's getting better. And attached with that is also still the pieces that we have to address around around victim blaming, honestly. Because as much as the dialogue has started to shift from, oh, why was she wearing that? Or why did she leave her drink unattended to, why did he sexually assault her? Still, a lot of the, the attitudes and beliefs that somehow blame the person who experienced sexual assault are still there in our in our communities. And so those are some of the biggest issues that we have to navigate. Sarah, I just want to talk a little bit about the verbiage you use when you talk about survivors. I hear you talk about that word, survivors, yet when we listen to media or certainly in the court system, the word they use is victim. Can you tell us a little bit about what that disconnect is? And as a community, what is the word we should be using? Because words matter. So, I mean, there's lots of different ways that we can refer to folks who have experienced sexual violence. And often we take the lead from survivors themselves in terms of how they identify. The term that we most often use is survivor. Victim is a is a legal term. When you're a victim, you're a victim of a crime. Victim also is a little more of a passive. Um, this thing has happened to you. Yeah, it's a place in our, in our criminal justice system. A survivor is someone who's had this thing. And, and sometimes I use the word victim too. When someone has been the victim of a crime, they have been the victim of a crime. But as they move forward, as they focus on healing, moving forward in their life, a lot of folks don't want to sit in that place where they're getting identified as a victim. They've had this experience, but they're resilient and they focused on healing and they have so much more in their life. And, you know, they're going to go on and do wonderful and great things. And so survivor is a, is a term that fits for a lot of people more. Sometimes I've heard people just say, we talk about people who've experienced sexual assault and some people like to be identified that way. So our default that we use is survivor. But if someone prefers a person who's experienced sexual violence, then then we go that way too. Helpful. And we know Waterloo Region is not immune to this. 
basically epidemic, if you want to call it that. All you need to do is is search Waterloo Region and sexual assaults to know that it's very much in our backyard. How have some of these local stories that are front and center, how has that brought up more conversations and the need for us to do more right here in Waterloo Region? There are stories about survivors of sexual violence in our papers every day. <laughs> and so, when, you know, when you raise that, there's immediately so many different things that come to mind. I'm trying to kind of narrow that down because in our community, I'll just throw some things out there to get people thinking about sexual violence in the context of our community. So right now, our community is in the midst of one of the largest sexual assault trials in Canadian history with the former neurologist, Sloka, from Grand River Hospital, who has been charged with sexually assaulting, and the numbers are changing, but 60-some different patients. And so that trial is ongoing through our system right now. There's news about that in our papers, televisions on a regular basis. And, you know, the implications of that, of, you know, so many folks who went to our our medical system for support when they were at their most vulnerable who had this experience and now they're going through court procedures. That's had an impact on our community. Last year, you know, separate from this, there was a survivor in our community who went through our court process. The person who had sexually assaulted her was found guilty, which is rare. Actually, it's very hard to find someone guilty within a, a sexual assault trial. And after that, she shared aspects of the judge's ruling with her friends and family. And because there was a publication ban on her case to protect her identity, the offender who had been found guilty of sexual assault found out and reported her to police and successfully had her charged and then brought to trial and convicted for a breach of the publication ban in her own sexual assault case. Now, there was an uproar in our community and then that spread all across the country and eventually that case was overturned. But that particular case had an impact of making survivors feel like they couldn't speak freely about their own experiences. And it was only because survivors and advocates spoke out challenging that kind of ruling as so problematic that things changed. And so there's so many things that happen in our community on a regular basis with survivors. Also, there's publication bans in sexual assault cases. So while there's regularly things in the papers about sexual assault, there's also limited things that are published to protect the identities of, of the folks that have experienced sexual violence. But there's many things on any given day, really, going through our legal system related to sexual assault. So I didn't know if there was something in particular you were referring to or just... No, that's perfect. That's that's exactly what I was thinking. I just, those stories are prevalent and, you know, it's easy to just turn away and not listen to them or pay attention to them. But, you know, as much as that was difficult for the survivor, the rallying of the community was just awesome to see and to know that it was overturned and again more attention to the very important subject. And for this this one Rose I think was powerful because the injustice was so obvious to a regular person in our community that we started getting hit with with like the average 
Joe and Jane in our community saying, what can I do to help? I want to pay this woman's legal fees. I want to pay this woman's fine. Who can we complain to? And so as much as this was infuriating for me, infuriating for you, infuriating for the average person, and obviously horrible for the survivor who had that experience, what we saw was a community that was united to stand up against injustice. Like we have donations pouring in to our center that you know have legal funds for survivors. And sometimes out of these situations comes community solidarity. And since that time at our center, we've now developed a position that's called sexual violence legal advocate. And so we have someone specifically at our center to help navigate these issues so that we can stop them before they they happen in the first place. Or if they happen, we can help survivors navigate them. So I think that the community helped us on this trajectory of trying to really work to make sure that survivors are supported in the future and these things don't happen. So Sarah, you've really twigged my thoughts. Obviously, sexual assault is such an uncomfortable topic for everyone, for those who have experienced it, and as well for those who haven't. But if we turn a blind eye to this, nothing will ever change. It's only only going to get worse. So If you had one thing that you could change in the next year, what would that be? And how can we in the community help you in in your quest? You know, trying to narrow down a systemic issue of gender-based violence, of sexual violence into one thing. But I think I actually can answer this because the truth is, is that we know that sexual violence is happening in our community. We know that there's been an increase related to the pandemic. We know that even before the pandemic, the levels were higher than we could respond to. And so what we have this year is a provincial election. And I think that sexual violence and gender-based violence needs to be an election issue. Right when the pandemic hit, we knew, and I, I, I spoke to this, but we knew that there would be a shadow pandemic gender-based violence. We knew that all the research told us that this would be a result of what we were about to experience. And it's true. Everything we're seeing, everything we're experiencing at our center. You know, when I said that we had a 62% increase in requests for support, that's in our core program for sexual violence counseling. But every single program we have at our center has seen substantial increases. So, you know, our groups and workshop programs, we're talking about like 300% increases. Our anti-human trafficking program, substantial increases. It's not like we're talking, oh, there was a 3% increase or a 5%. We're looking at between like 30 and 300% increase across our programs. So... Before the last provincial election, sexual assault centers were set to get a substantial increase in funding to help deal with the fact that there's been a cultural shift and survivors are reaching out. That funding was actually clawed back after the election. And so what we're calling on folks to do in advance of this next election is to put it back on the agenda and say sexual assault centers need to be funded at appropriate levels, funded as an essential service, 
so that they can ensure that support is there for survivors when they reach out. There should not be year-long waiting lists for survivors who are reaching out. Timely support should be available. Community-based support should be available. So I think if there was one thing, it would be our community coming together to put this on the table as a provincial election issue. Sarah, 6% of sexual assaults are reported to police, and it's the most underreported crime. And I can appreciate that some survivors will choose to report and some will not, all for very good reasons, and that journey will be different for everybody. So hypothetically, I'm a friend or a family member to a survivor, and I'm watching helplessly as you know, the person I love is going through this nightmare. What can I do, big or small, to just ensure that I'm being that supportive person? Any tips or suggestions you can give people? I think it's really important, Rose, that you raised that 6%. Sometimes you hear 5%, sometimes you hear 10%, but we are looking at approximately 6%, you're right, of, of sexual assaults are reported to police. And I think sometimes police reporting is overemphasized, meaning that somebody hears that someone's been sexually assaulted and the first thought they have is, have you reported to police? As if that is the solution, is that's the right steps to take. And sometimes it's not the right steps for someone. And so I think folks have to be so cognizant that when somebody has been sexually assaulted, sexual assault is about power and control. And someone has had that taken from them. And it is so important that you support a survivor to make choices about their own life and their own next steps. And that you're there not to say where they should go, but to support them with their decisions, to offer them resources, but not not to make decisions on their behalf. If a survivor does say that they're interested in exploring options with the police, of course you can talk to them about that or suggest they call our center to talk to someone on our crisis line or to talk to our sexual violence legal advocate who can talk all about what that looks like, what options they have, all confidential. But separate from criminal justice, the very basic things you want to do It's actually pretty simple. You want to listen. You want to let a survivor know that you believe them. So many survivors are met with disbelief. It's those why questions. You know, I said that people are really still experiencing a lot of victim blaming. So sometimes it's unintentional. Like you might listen and then after a while say, why did you take a ride home with him? And as soon as you ask a why question about someone's experience of sexual violence, you're suggesting that they did something that contributed to their experience of sexual violence. And in the end, we're not responsible for someone's choice to use sexual violence against us. We should be able to accept a ride home from someone in our life and feel safe. (laughs) It's their responsibility to drop us off safely or things like that, right? And so I think you want to listen. You want them to know that you believe them. You want to say maybe thank you for sharing. So many survivors don't share for so long or they're so selective with who they share with that you might not quite understand what an honor it is that they are sharing this experience with you. There are survivors that haven't told their story to anyone who have told their story to maybe one or two people in 10 years. So they're trusting you with something that's very 
sensitive and hard and at their core. So thank them for trusting you, offering them whatever support they need, believing them, taking their lead in terms of where they want to go. Those are the core things, really. And I know it sounds really simple to respond that way, but it's actually something that that very simple response can have a profound impact on someone. Um, Because you will never know, especially at the beginning for survivors, how hard it was for them to disclose that information to you. You know, Sarah, speaking of profound impact, you've clearly had a huge and very profound impact on on people in, in our community. We're just about to wrap up here, but I wonder if you could just spend a couple of minutes talking to our listeners about what drew you into activism. Sarah Castleman, superhero, you know, how how did you get drawn into trying to change such an unwieldy and, and massive problem in our society? I think it just, it started very young for me in terms of my passion for women's rights and feminism. It started with being the youngest of three daughters and having a mom who was a trailblazer in her own right. She was a a minister at a time when it was very hard to be a, a female minister. There was very few. And she taught her daughters all about leadership. A lot of those ideas around women in leadership came from came from my mom. And then in university, my focus was really on psychology and women's studies. And as I learned more about women's studies, and as I really engaged in that work, I found that that was my passion. And then right after university, I heard about SASC, the Sexual Assault Support Center, and they were looking for volunteers on the 24-hour support line. And I was like, I can do that. So this was a just to be clear, when I heard about them, I heard about them in the paper, when you used to get a paper and circle like a volunteer opportunity. And so I went in for an interview and I worked on the support line for a while as a volunteer. And then my career grew from that then. And I worked as a residential counselor in a shelter for a while. But really, it was in the volunteer training here at the Sexual Assault Support Center. I was sitting in there and I was like, this is it. This is my niche. This is what I care about. This fits everything for me. It pulls all the pieces together. So that was 20 years ago and I never left. And we're very lucky to have you, Sarah. I think everyone feels that who listens to you. One of the things I think we can do as a community is to bring awareness to the issue. And SVP has tried to do that by investing in the Sexual Assault Support Center. And I think that's a good segue to talk about the importance of May for your center and what's coming up. Can you speak to the uh, significance of next month, how important it is for the community get to get involved and how may they get involved? Absolutely. May is a sexual violence prevention month. So in Ontario, it's the time that we focus on sexual violence and everything we can do to both prevent it and change how our community and our province responds to survivors. So in our community this year, we're having a campaign called Ignite Change. So if you go to our website, there's lots of links to Ignite Change. And we're calling upon folks this year to do three things. So the first one is supporting survivors 
and making a donation to our center. We are so lucky to have folks from Social Venture Partners, and we have a, an anonymous Social Venture Partner who is matching up to $5,000 in donations for Sexual Violence Prevention Month. So please make a donation and that will be matched. The second thing we're calling on folks to do is advocate for change. And those are the pieces that we're talking about in terms of advocating with the provincial government to ensure that sexual violence and gender-based violence is election issue and that our sector is funded as an essential service. And the third thing is around preventing sexual violence. And we are having a community uh, conference on May 18th that is all about uh, engaging the community on, in conversations about sexual violence prevention. And so there's lots more information about that on our website. But that's what we're doing. Also, in addition to that, always the first Friday in May, we always all wear purple for a campaign called No One Asked For It, which is a campaign to support survivors standing up against victim blaming, really. And the hashtag No One Asked For It. We like to see folks on social media that day wearing purple. So those are different ways that folks can support us and support survivors over the month of May. You left us with some great takeaways, Sarah. That's wonderful. We will make sure we have all those links available to the listeners as well. So thank you, Sarah and Ginny, for your time today. Don't forget donations made in May will be matched up to $5,000 by an SVP partner. So please, if you can, donate to the Sexual Assault Support Centre. Until next time, this is Rose Greensides, host of Tap In, brought to you by Social Venture Partners. 